and welcome to episode 31 of the LUFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode we'll be talking to an ex-Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. Last episode with former Leeds United under-23 captain Hugo Diaz. And in that episode we spoke to Hugo about his two years at Ellen Road and making his first team debut at Preston in 2017. But one part of his Leeds career which was interesting to hear about was his trip to Myanmar with Paul Heckingbottom and the first team squad at Leeds, which was quite a controversial post-season tour in 2018. But it was interesting to hear Hugo speak about that experience, wasn't it, Jack? Because it was very unique. Yeah, I think unique is probably the best way to put it, really. He was saying that a lot of the players didn't want to go at the time, but he was one of the players who was happy to go. The general feel I got from things was that he quite enjoyed it. Um he said he loved the country. Um, obviously, you know, the, the country itself doesn't have the greatest of records on human rights and, and other sorts of bad things. But yeah, like I said, Hugo explained how it was a beautiful country with the temples and the scenery. And he was happy he went in the end because although it was a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, he did get the opportunity as well to play in the first team. And although the games probably weren't, Remembered for the right reasons in terms of the score lines, it was um, a good opportunity for him personally. Yeah, and it was great to speak to Hugo about his time at Leeds and his love for Leeds as a whole, because even though he was only in Yorkshire for two years, he has a huge amount of respect for Leeds and as a city, as a football club. So if you missed that last episode or any of our other shows, they're all available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcasts, simply by searching the LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. Just before we go into today's show, today's episode is sponsored by Mystery Football Kit Co. So the guys over at Mystery Football Kit Co have reached out to us and happily agreed to sponsor the podcast and support us as a small business ourselves. They are Leeds fans and what they are offering is a Mystery Football Kit Box. And if you're not sure what a Mystery Football Kit Box is, it's the opportunity to get your hands on a shirt you might not have got before. It's from any team from any time, including this season as well, all over the globe. All you have to do is select your size on their website, as well as any kits or colours you don't want to feature in your mystery box. So obviously you'll be selecting no red kits in that category straight away. And your very own mystery shirt will arrive on your doorstep, and you won't know what kit you've received until you open up. All of their shirts are hand-picked to each order, and every item is of high quality, and I must emphasise as well, genuine brand new football shirt from either this year or any previous year from any club around the world. And because of our partnership, as well as the fact that we like to look out for our listeners, if you enter the code LUFC Fanzone at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. So make sure you head over to Mystery Football Kit Co on Instagram or www.mysteryfootballkitco.com to check them out. And make sure you add the discount code LUFC Fanzone at checkout. But on to today's show... And as the Premier League season has come to an end, we thought it'd be a good idea to create an episode with all of the best bits from our podcast, which we recorded throughout the 2020-21 season. So in this episode, we've compiled one highlight from our last 30 shows, put them all into one big podcast, so you can hear all the best bits from our guests throughout last season, ranging from Lee Chapman to Giuseppe Belushi, Steve Evans to Howard Wilkinson, and even a refresh about what Deco had to say about Rafinha's future at Leeds along the way. The episode starts with former Legion United goalkeeper Kasper Ankergren, which was released at the start of August last year. And in this clip, Kasper was speaking about his greatest ever save, which was at home to Hartlepool United in 2007. I had the, I remember this quite clearly. I had to move from, because at the time I didn't have a house or a flat or anything. So I had to move the day before the game. I had to move from one flat, from like a hotel apartment to a different one. And uh, I remember just moving the day before. I got to bed really late and and for the game over, I thought, oh no, I don't feel like I'm on it here. This, do you know when you just, that didn't feel right. But, uh, and then it's, that's that's the weird thing about football. I, I end up making one of the best saves I've ever made in my whole career. Uh, I do remember it quite clearly, like the, the free kick uh, and a header and somehow I don't know. I think I might have touched the ball. It's high to my left. Somehow touched the ball onto the crossbar and then trapping the ball on the line for some reason. That is, for me, the best save I've made in, in my career, I think. 
despite Leeds losing the match 3-2, you put Leeds 2-0 up with a fantastic volley in the first half, which eventually won Leeds' goal of the season. What can you remember about that volley? Yeah, I just remember um, we played a long ball and someone maybe, um, I think they had it out or they tried to clear it, but it wasn't a good clearance and came and I took it on my chest and I just shoot, you know, <laughs> and it went in the goal. So it was very, it was a very nice goal. And of course, this season, you'll be returning to Ellen Road again on Boxing Day. How much are you looking forward to that match? And what are you going to expect from Marcelo Bielsa and his Leeds United side? Look, I'm extremely looking forward to that match. Um, I just hope the crowds are going to be back by then because I want to see that place bouncing. Um, I saw it a couple of times in our promotion push when I was there, um, a full 36,000. It, it, it's, it's a sight to behold. Um, so I'm sure the last year's stadiums would have been bouncing fully. Um, so it would be nice if that's the same on Boxing Day. It'd be nice to go back and play against old teammates, um, against old fans, and and hopefully there's a nice reception. If there is, that's great. If there's not, well, that's that's life. Um, it's going to be a tough game because I know what I've seen. I've been following closely over the last couple of seasons how the boys have been doing, and uh, they're playing some very good football. So um, if they take to the Premier League like Sheffield United did, I think they'll become a very big force. And of course, this season, you'll be returning to Ellen Road again on Boxing Day. How much are you looking forward to that match? And what are you going to expect from Marcelo Bielsa and his Leeds United side? Look, I'm extremely looking forward to that match. Um, I just hope the crowds are going to be back by then because I want to see that place bouncing. Um, I saw it a couple of times in our promotion push when I was there, um, a full 36,000. It, it, it's, it's a sight to behold. Um, so I'm sure... The last year's stadiums would have been bouncing fully. Um, so it would be nice if that's the same on Boxing Day. It would be nice to go back and play against old teammates, um, against old fans, and, and hopefully there's a nice reception. If there is, that's great. If there's not, well, that's that's life. Um, it's going to be a tough game because I know what I've seen. I've been following closely over the last couple of seasons how the boys have been doing, and uh, they're playing some very good football. So... Um, if they take to the Premier League like Sheffield United did, I think they'll become a very big force. Yeah, and like when you did join Abani, you obviously returned to the Football League after you declined. What many Leeds fans might not know is that just a couple of months into your Barnet contract, you were sent to prison for 13 weeks for driving offences, which meant that you were unable to play for your new club in League Two. How was that time for you and how much of an impact did you feel that that sentence might have had on your professional career as you'd worked to get back up there? Yeah, I'll tell you what, as, uh, as, I'm, I'm, as I'm speaking to you, I don't know if you realise, I keep on saying I wasn't really serious, wasn't so really, really serious. Yeah. I just took things as they were coming. I took football as, they, as I was playing, as it was coming. I never took football where, as a profession where... I'm going to get paid. I want the money. I want this. I want that. It wasn't really like that. I'll tell you the truth. It wasn't like that until I went in prison. Even when I got that move, that's why I was getting all these moves. Uh, I was getting on loan, getting all these moves, the leagues above. I was not, I was excited, but I was not really keen on I was not desperate like that. But it's only when I got to prison, that's when you're, you know, in the, sometimes in life, you only get to the worst place. That's for you to realize how lucky you were. You know what I mean? So he was, I think there was a time when I got punched in the face. I got to see this, I got this, I think I got this Mike Tyson punch on my face. And I realized, you know what? It's either you wake up now or you're just going to carry on like that. You're going to waste your time. That was the time when I woke up. It was difficult. Yes. If you're talking about a bit of difficulties, and uh, yes, it was very difficult because I went there. Everything that was happening before, it was just me being a kid, me being a kid in the head. My body, I was, I think I was up a bit 23 in that. But I would just plainly been a kid, I've been a kid in a head because the things I was doing off the field, like I'm telling you, it was just crazy. It was that me driving in a band. I was in a band. I was still drive. I was in a band. I was still drive. Can you believe I was going the same way to training every morning? And it's like the police actually knew my. They knew my car. They knew where I park. They knew the car park I park. They knew where I train. They knew where I work. 
So they actually know this guy goes past here probably at 9.30 every morning or 9 o'clock every morning. And we know his car park where he's going to pass. So we're going to be sitting there. We're going to be watching him when he's coming to park. And we're just going to stop him easily. They were done that for me. I remember there was one, two weeks I went through. They actually, in two weeks, they stopped me like probably eight, nine times or 10 times. It's like every day I was going training. They've sent policemen who come to me and goes, Trez, why are you doing this to yourself? We told you to stop driving. Why are you doing it? Why do you want to mess up your career? The guy will talk to me like this. And you see me tomorrow. You, t- you tell me the same thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually being an idiot where I'm thinking I'm smarter than these guys. This guy, they can't stop me. You know what I mean? I was like that in my head. So then boom, that you put me in. So that's why I always like, have this something about this club Barney because what they've done for me was it was amazing. And I don't think there was many clubs that would have done that for anybody or maybe not for me. I can't, I can't, I can't see it happening. They actually knew I was going to go jail before I went to jail because my solicitor already told them that Trezor was going to get locked down for maybe four, three, four months. And uh, the club still decided to keep my contract. So as I was in prison, the club was there waiting for me to come back in pre-season. But the way they fixed it, even the prison, I don't know who, de- who dealt with it, but the way they fixed it is where... They made sure I went to prison just before I went on my holiday. Or just when the season is finishing, they took me to court. So they locked me down well, the whole two months when I was in prison. And when I came out, I missed the whole preseason. I missed the whole preseason. So I think I've done like three and a half months. So I missed the my whole holidays. And then I missed the preseason. So when I came back, when as soon as I came out, I came, I think I came out like on Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that. And the game was on Saturday. So I think I came out on like Wednesday or Thursday. One of them days, it was like three, two days before the game. I came out in a second league, a second match of the season. So I didn't have no preseason, basically. My preseason basically was two days when I came out of prison. I came training, I was running for one day, came run the other day. And Saturday there was a game, I was on the bench. <laughs> That's how it was. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it was like it was crazy and I came out and the shirt that they saved me they had to give me size extra bigger because I just got big I just went, went to the gym and I started putting on size it was like I came out and my mindset completely changed that's what that's when I really realized you know what I need to sort myself out and now or before I just regret one day because life you only live once and time flies it? so yeah. that's what happened really I pushed myself up and I thought to myself it's time to stand up and be real. And that's what I do for the kids now. Mm, if obviously, I thought, you're probably going to talk about it later anyway. So that's when I woke up. That's when I realized, you know what? It's a time to kick off. Yes. Leeds won the match 3-2 and put the pressure back on Manchester United. And following the match, there were the famous shots of yourself, David Batty, Gary McAllister and Eric Cantona all watching the Manchester United against Liverpool match in hopes that United would drop points Whose idea was it to all watch the match together and just the four of you rather than the whole squad? And how optimistic were you that Liverpool would help Leeds out? Well, uh, I, I knew, uh, I used to do a lot of TV work at the time, a lot of punditry uh, with ITV. And Trevor East, who was the head of ITV Sport, called me on my mobile on the, on the way back uh, from the game from Sheffield to Leeds. And he said, listen, it's all on this game now, Man United Liverpool. Can we um, send a camera crew round to your house? And then if you just invite three or four of the, the players to sit with you and we'll sit with you watching the game and, you know, you, you could you could win the title today. Today, you, you, could, you could come away as, as, as champions. Uh, so I said, yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I was into doing lots of TV at the time. So I, I had the only people who would turn up. I mean, I think I asked people like Strachey and uh, John Nukic. They all said no. And the only ones who said yes. Um, it was Gary, Mack, David and, and Eric. I don't think Eric knew what I was asking him to do. But anyway, he ended up being there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we were just sat there, uh, and it was very bizarre. It was one of the early days of live TV trans- transmission, and they had this enormous mast. I lived in a little village called Rowcliffe in North Yorkshire, off the A1, and um, they had this enormous mast going about 50 foot in the air. You know, now it's just sat- dishes, satellite dishes now, and you can hardly see them. But in those days, it was really big equipment, and uh, the, the whole of the village sort of came to a standstill. Um, we were watching the game, and um, obviously Liverpool did us a, a, a fantastic favour. We, we were champions, and then um, after the game, we were just stunned. Um, and we were being interviewed. I think it was was it John Helm. I think John Helm was 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 interviewing us, and uh, we looked like we'd um, we, we were we were attending a funeral. I mean, no, none of us knew exactly what was happening. It hadn't really sunk in, and um, 
they went to a commercial break and Trevor's called me and he said, uh, it's a chappy. He said, uh, you look as though you're at a fucking funeral. He said, just cheer up. You just won, you just won the title. He said, get some champagne out. And I said, listen, Trevor, I haven't got any champagne. He said, uh, he said, so just give me the guy. So he, 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 I passed the phone to one of these guys and they ran across to the pub, uh, across the village green and, uh, got some champagne. We opened the champagne in time for coming back from the commercial break, and we still looked as though we were, we were attending a funeral. Uh, it, just, it just, it was bizarre. It was very, very bizarre. It hadn't sunk in, and it only really sunk in that night later on when we went back into Leeds. We went, we all agreed to meet, and I think we met, met at the Flying Pizza, uh, and that's when it really sunk in that we'd, we'd won the title. The whole restaurant as we walked in came to their feet. And we're singing, and and then the whole town was buzzing. You know, people beeping the horns, and that's when it really sunk in that we, we'd achieved something. It was it was an incredible day. At the end of the 2013-14 season, Brian McDermott was the manager of Leeds United, and he was sacked at the end of May, just after the season had finished, virtually straight away. And despite not being in management for almost a year, you became the bookmakers' favourites to take over Leeds. When did he first hear of Leeds' interest and how did he find out about the possibility of becoming Leeds United's head coach? Well, so we'll, we'll go through this chronologically uh, and I've told this story a number of times to Leeds fans, but I'm literally in my garden. It's a nice sunny day. It's the close season. Um, I've had a couple of offers. I'm thinking, but nothing's really floating my boat. And then I get a call from a, an, from a guy in Italian voice saying, I have my sponsor uh, who owns a football club in England. He's heard good things about you. Would you like to go and have a chat with him? Now, there's lots of wind-ups in football, as you can probably guess. Um, and yet, I knew that this wasn't a wind-up. It just had a ring of authenticity about it, however bizarre it was. So, at the time, it was either Orient or Leeds. So, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I'll phone you tomorrow. Um, but, you know, you, you're saying you'd be interested. I said, yeah, I would. So, I'm straight away looking at all of the players at Leeds, all the players at uh, Orient. I'm doing my homework. Um, not talking to anybody because obviously I, I don't know which club it is and I didn't, it could have been something else. And then they get a phone call the next day. I said, right, tomorrow can you get on a, a train, uh, get yourself to London, go down here, right here, up here, left here, and you'll come to a hotel called such and such, be there at such and such a time. So um, again, I didn't know which team it was. Um, so I, I got on the train, got the, followed the directions, came here, and then the voice appeared um, and said, hiya, David, I'm such and such. Um, let's just sit down and we'll wait for my sponsor to appear. So I sat down, had a, had a glass of water, um, and then eventually in walks uh, Cellino. So straight away, I'm getting rid of all my Orient notes in my head and I'm, I'm fast-tracking on the Leeds United notes. And he came in, he was very personable, uh, very likeable, got on really well with him. We sat down, he was smoking and, and drinking. We had the salt and pepper pots, we had the the ashtray out in the open and there was four people there um, chatting away and we were there for about four hours, could have been longer. But after two hours, uh, Cellino, who was sitting next to me, said, and he was just asking questions and talking about football, very relaxed. And then he just leaned back and said, David, I like you. And I said, well, thank you. I said, listen, I'm enjoying talking about football. And I'm thinking, as soon as he came in, I'm thinking, well, Realistically, it might be an under-23s coach and maybe getting involved with the first team because I've got a reputation for being good at set players as well. So maybe being a set-piece uh, expert and, and helping out with my knowledge of the of the championship. Um, maybe, if I was lucky, um, it might be that he wanted me to be like an assistant to a foreign manager coming over. I knew of his track record with managers anyway, or head coaches as he would call them. Um, so th that's where I was sort of putting myself. And he said, uh, I like you. I went, yeah, thanks. I'm enjoying this. He went, would you like to be my head coach? So like, <laughs> I always remember the, the voice on my right nearly fell over. He leaned back on his chair, nearly fell over because I think he was shocked. And, and I sort of sat back and I said, do you know what you're, what you're asking me? So the voice then said, is it too much for you? Is it too much for you? Can you not do it? I said, no, no, I can do it. But, and I'm looking at Chilino, um, the president, as I, as I called him, uh, and I said, do you know what you're doing? He said, go on, explain yourself. I said, well, in football, I'm actually quite well known and I, I like to think I've got a good reputation as a good coach. I said, but the fans won't have heard of me. The media might have heard little bits of me, but won't really know me. You know, you're setting yourself up 
for a lot of questions and potentially a lot of pressure. He said, can you handle that? I said, yeah, I can handle it because I'm a coach and, I, and I'll be out on the grass and I'll be coaching the players and that's what I do. So it'll be more off the field shenanigans that, you know, you, you might want to be concerned about. He said, no, I can handle that, not a problem. So we shook hands and he said, I'll, I'll be back in touch. Didn't promise me it, but he said he was thinking about it. So um, I've, uh, I've gone away. The next day, um, from nowhere, I've come in in the betting. I am not a gambler. I did not put any bets on. So somebody, I, I have to guess, in that meeting um, thought, David Hockney has got a good chance. I'm going to put some money on. So straight away, the voice t- calls me in a couple of days and said, you've come in from nowhere on the betting. The president's not happy. It's all off. I went, well, listen, fine. I hadn't, I hadn't got anything, so I didn't have anything to lose. I said, fine. I haven't done anything wrong, but if that's how he feels, not a problem. And then I heard that he'd had a chat with... Um, Eamon Dolan, God rest his soul, a guy at Reading who had a good reputation as a good coach. And then nothing was happening. So um, I was away with my wife down in Cornwall, the voice on the phone again. Uh, President wants to meet you again, Manchester, cloak and dagger stuff. So um, I I drove this time to Manchester, parked up, went to a hotel where I'd been told to go. Um, Still nice sunny day. Somebody from reception says, can you pick up the phone over there in a cubicle? So I went over to a cubicle, picked it up, said, go out the um, corridor, turn left, turn right, go out, go along 400 yards. There's another hotel there, knockout. So I've done all of this. Um, and then Chilino's there waving me as if I'm his best mate. Um, and I did get on well with him, to be fair. Went over there, chatted for a couple of hours. He said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm not doing anything. Why? He said, get yourself to Allen Road. I'm announcing you. So and okay, so um, I I went back to Manchester, got me stuff, went to Leeds United. I'm thinking, is this is this going to happen? Uh, and I went there, and before you guys even say it, I became the first watermelon. The analogy being that uh, you don't really know what you're going to get until you you crack it open. So he, he was taking a gamble, if that's the right word, on a coach uh, to become the head coach of. Of Leeds United, and, and that, in a nutshell, you know, or in a watermelon, is how it uh, it all came about. And one of the games you did attend was an away trip to Sheffield Wednesday in January 2014, a match which Leeds lost six nil. And it was reported that during that trip to Hillsborough, people at the club wanted to sack Brian McDermott at half time in the changing room. What can you tell us about that story? God, that was that was that was hell. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember it very, very well. We were in, um, yeah, we were in. Um, I remember being in the in the, the, you know, in going inside into one of the the, the directors' rooms, um, and even before that, I was getting you know nonstop WhatsApp messages because Isham was basically watching it with his friends in in some kind of majlis, which is like a tent type thing, smoking shisha, drinking coffee, and he was obviously he was obviously getting um, you know teased very much by his friends. Um, and um, so, yeah, yeah, he was basically taking it out. And first of all, we just thought, oh, it's a tantrum, um, which, you know, we get a lot of them. Um, and I remember at the same time, my phone battery is running out. So it's it's not going very well. I've got someone um, getting very angry um, from Bahrain. Um, and then, you know, when it got to half time and, and the result was very bad, it was uni fine. Um, and, I, and, you know, I'm trying to advise caution and say, well, that's not really the right thing to do. You know, for this reason, that reason, that reason, apart from anything else, we'll look like complete and utter idiots. No one does that. Um, we've got no one to replace him with, et cetera, et cetera. You need to calm down. And then, you know, I carried on having those conversations with my battery literally trying to run out. So I'm trying to find the plug to charge it with. Um, and the, you know, the last, one of the last conversations I had with him, I mean, he was basically, well, if you don't do it, I will call the BBC myself now and tell them that we fired him. And then my phone ran out of battery and I was just like, bugger. Um, and I just, I, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you know, I remember at that time as well, Salah wasn't, I don't think Salah was around, but I remember trying to get hold of him and trying to, yeah, he was, I was contacting him all the time. Can you talk to you know, Hisham, talk to Hisham? Ultimately that didn't happen. Um, but you know, the instruction was very clearly given to do it. And, you know, if you'd worked on the knee jerk reactions of Hisham, that, that would have happened and, and would have seriously damaged the club. Um, and it was just, yeah, and again, that's down to the fact that they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have relevant experience. You know, they were not patient. Um, 
and and they were becoming increasingly desperate in 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 terms of getting someone in um and very short term kind of look on on the club you know someone loses at one point you don't fire them the next day you know you've got to have a more of a medium to long term view and they just didn't have that um and that was that i mean that day for me was absolute hell um you know i remember it really 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 well um and you know they'd also tried to call brian as well several times because you know after the match when i was talking to brian you know i even i think from memory i even went during half time or i messaged him saying don't answer your phone um it was either yeah i think it was half time or afterwards i told him not to answer his phone from bahrain and he didn't um but i was worried that they were going to contact him direct and they had you know they tried to contact him direct and probably fire him direct, you know straight away with the fifth coming away to charlton on the penultimate away game of the season although leeds did lose the game 2-1 the match is more remembered for the fact that yourself and five other Leeds players didn't travel to Charlton that day and pulled out of the side just one day before the game. Would you be able to tell us what happened that day? Because there's been a lot of claims from various people, such as Saul Bamba and Neil Redfern, about their opinions. However, no one's actually said their opinions from the people that have participated. See. So yeah, basically that day, at that time, uh, all my other five teammates uh, were actually uh, injured. Uh, the only one not injured was me. But what happened is that um, at that time I was uh, a crucial player for Leeds because I used to play uh, all games. And uh, even the coach, they he tried me in the starting eleven the whole week, and then uh, all of a sudden the the day before the game, uh, with, without giving me a proper explanation, he just didn't let me. He just excluded me, and uh, for that reason, I I decided uh, probably even uh, uh, wrongly, I I acted instinctively, and I decided not to to go to Charlton with the with the team. Ma io, ma io ero sicuro che uh, Redfern, l'allenatore e la moglie che lavorava all'interno del club Lillo, erano per, dal mio punto di vista erano loro due che, che facevano uscire queste notizie per, per, per farvi fuori but I'm, uh, I'm quite sure that uh, it was uh, Redfern Red, 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 Neil Redfern, Neil Redfern, Redfern yeah. and uh, his wife as well they used to work at the club uh, it was them that uh, used to spread it, all these uh, fake news uh, in order to to send me away, to get me out of the of the club. So, just say, for example, if Neil Redfern would have started you in that match at Charlton, would have put you in the starting eleven, would you have been willing to play and fit enough to play that match? Una domanda che mi offende. Ho fatto tutta la settimana disponibile. Io non sono partito l'ultimo giorno prima, il giorno prima di partire il ritiro per Charlton non sono partito, avevo, finito, avevo fatto l'allenamento. Ma quando ho fatto la formazione, che prima ero titolare e poi non mi ha fatto giocare, ho deciso di andare dentro lo spogliatoio e non partire. Eh, sia per questo mio pensiero che, che avevo, che sono loro che volevano farmi fuori dal, eh, dal, dal, dal mondo Leeds, e sia perché è stata una mancanza di rispetto nei miei confronti. Eh, non tanto come giocatore ma come uomo e poi questa domanda mi offende perché io ogni volta che scendo in campo al di là del, dell'obiettivo che ci possa essere anche se in quel momento non lottavamo né per retrocedere né per salire ma io ho sempre dato tutto me stesso come se fosse il match più importante della mia vita So this question uh, offends me a little bit because obviously I'm a, I'm a, a man that uh gives a uh, 200% all the time and that week I actually I actually played trained the whole week until the very last training before uh, going to Char- Charlton and uh, 
I was in the starting 11 and then uh, obviously the coach uh, probably because uh, he, he wanted me out of the club uh, he he for no reason he excluded me from the from the starting 11 and uh, for that reason I I decided to not not to go uh, but uh, obviously I, as I repeat I'm a I'm a player that gives uh, 100% all the time I never back up if they ask me. If I'm asked to play, I never back up. I'll always fight. And uh, for that reason, it, it was him who excluded me for no reason. On hindsight, do you think the action that you did that day, what well, you shouldn't have done it? Like looking back at what you did, do you think it was the wrong decision to take? Difficile rispondere. Con senno di poi, credo che ho mancato di, di professionalità. Uh, al mio lavoro, di professionalità ai miei compagni e soprattutto non aver letto prima l'intento che avevano già, già da un po' di tempo Redfern e, e la moglie e ci sono cascato con, con tutte le scarpe, non so come fai a tradurre questa cosa, <ride> e ci sono cascato al giochetto e mi si è rivoltato tutto contro. So no, it's... Uh... Well, it doesn't bother me because I basically said everything about that episode, but uh, it's difficult to say because uh, obviously on one side, I I, I didn't, uh, I, I let down my teammates, uh, the fans. Uh, so on that side, on that side, it wasn't a, a good, a good decision to, to make. But on the other side, I, I probably had to realize earlier uh, what uh, what Redneff and his wife wanted to to do, which was uh, kick me out of the club, and they won, they won. So I I fell for the for their game, and uh, so I, I probably should have uh, should have realized earlier what what their intent was, which was to kick kick me out of the club. When you were at Leeds, there was a perfect example of when that worked, when Boxing Day in 2017, when Leeds played Burton, Burton Albion away, and Pablo Hernandez scored that free <laughs> kick. How, how satisfying is it for you when one of your free kicks work and it results in a goal? Uh, I am like a striker, I think, to score. Uh, I remember, the, I remember this, uh, this goal. Because uh, uh, Vieira and another player, I don't remember the name, must to stay in front of the keeper, I remember, look the keeper and move. No? And the keeper uh, go to our player and uh, put down the, 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 the no? uh, and sure, receive the yeah. receive a yellow card also. No? Then uh, this is a typical example that uh, it's possible to create this problem because the keeper in this moment, uh, Think uh, not about uh, the situation, not about uh, the ball, but uh, about uh, the two players in front of him. Um, in January that uh, uh, 2017, I remember uh, Stock City, Stock City, uh, make it an offer for Diego, for buy a Diego, and um, Stock City to talk it with. Uh, uh, Real Madrid and, uh, and and they like it, uh, Diego. And then in the next summer, other club in England uh, call us. But the Real Sociedad doesn't like to to sell the player. Um, and not possible for for Diego. But Diego, uh, too many years ago, thinking in Premier League, uh, honestly. And did Diego have any other interested clubs before his move to Leeds came up? Yeah, he had many interests. It's public that uh, Monaco was interested. Yeah, but then uh, because Monaco they tried to sign Diego already in last uh, winter, and then they, they they got in contact. They stay in contact with Real Sociedad because yeah, you know, they they couldn't realize the the, the transfer in uh, last winter. But then there were also. Many clubs from different uh, countries that ask about his situation. Obviously, it was not a, a, an easy transfer to do, especially in, in these uh, moments we are living. But uh, as uh, Helu said before, uh, Leeds was very keen to sign him uh, since the first approach they make to Helu. 
and it was quite quick uh, because uh, yeah, it's also you know you know I know that you are from 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 there and and for you it's it's more uh, it's more hot the situation but uh, Marcelo Bielsa is uh, is very attractive uh, also for uh, uh, the Spanish you know he was here he he, he was in Spain he, he did very well and and for uh, any player nowadays I think it's a, it's a it's a man to work with so that's why I think it was uh, matching so good and it was made very quick. After your career, you took up a role with Borough's coaching team in June 2019. Following the departure of Tony Pulis, you took up your first role as first team manager at Middlesbrough. And of course, at your time at Borough, you were in the championship with Leeds and you made your return to Ellen Road to manage your side in November 2019. What was that like for you returning to Ellen Road, but in the opposition dugout instead? It was a proud moment. A proud one for me to to do that to to be the manager of my hometown team, playing against a club that I absolutely adore, and and, and I owe so much gratitude to, and the things that I'd done in the game, I, I couldn't have done it without Leeds United, really, and the coaching that I got and the development. So it was a proud one for me, really. Um, I remember analysing the Leeds team and thinking this team is just absolutely relentless. That's one word I des- I described you as before the game, my players. This team is relentless, and if you don't match them, you get whooped. Uh, and after, after I think it was the first two minutes, you scored, and then we stayed in the game till about thirty seconds before half time, and we conceded another. And then it's difficult, so you're going in instead of one nil down, you're going in two nil down at half time, and then you know with, with the fans and and how Leeds plays at the time, it's difficult to get back in the game. We lost the game four nil, but let me tell you something: the reception I got from the Leeds fans in that game was unbelievable. It sent shivers down my spine, I'll be honest with you. On a, we, were getting, we were getting beat and I was humiliated and I, I hated every minute of it because we were getting beat and I hate getting beat. But the reception the Leeds fans give me was something that will never leave me. It was, that, it was that special to me. Obviously, I was devastated. I didn't want to, I couldn't clap or salute and say thank you because we, we, we were getting beat at the time. But, That'll always live me, live with me that. And like you said, Leeds won the game 4-0 and also won the return fixture at the Riverside 1-0 in February with Marcelo Bielsa as Leeds' head coach, as you would have known. Did you have a chance to speak to Marcelo at all during the match or after or whenever, really? Yeah, I spoke to him. I spoke to him after the match on both occasions. He just said to keep on going, do what you believe in. And and, and that stood with me, really, of, of... of what the type of manager he was. The first time we played him, I was coaching with Tony Pulis and he he come into the office after the game and he brought this big, massive booklet in, about that thick, full of formations that we played, substitutions we make on certain minutes. So he, like, knows what moves he's going to make, which players he brings off. Does he put uh, a right back and a right winger or a right winger on the left-hand side? What does he do? So he give me all this, he give me this file, so I was straight away, I'm having that. But he was, he, I spoke to him a bit in, in, in Spanish as well. I can, I can speak a bit of Spanish, so I had that conversation with him in that as well. Unfortunately, things didn't really work out for you at Norwich. And after your time there, you made the switch to Rotherham and then the return to Argentina and Spain later in your career. However, during your time at Rotherham and when Neil Warnock had departed, there were reports that Leeds might be trying to re-sign you and bring you back to Ellen Road. Were you ever close to returning to Leeds once you'd been sold and would you have liked to come back? Sí, sí, y después de volver a Argentina antes de fichar por el Rotterdam, eh, tuve la oportunidad para volver al Leeds. Eh, Chelino había hablado con mi representante. Uh-huh. Eh, tuvimos un día antes de que yo fuimos para el Rotterdam, estuvimos hablando todo el día. Eh, habíamos llegado habíamos llegado a un acuerdo para la firma. Eh, yo solo tenía que que ir al, al otro día al club y nunca nunca me nunca me atendieron no sé o, o Celino no no, me, no cogió el teléfono no nos pudimos encontrar y finalmente imagínate eh, es como que me como un niño chico que le ponen un caramelito en la boca y se lo quitan eh, yo estaba muy contento por la vuelta y al final no no se dio y firmé por el Rodrigo so when he came so he when he came back um, from Argentina uh, he was sitting ¿Cómo se llama el tipo? Chelino. Chelino. 
So he was sitting with Chalino and his agent. And the day before that, he signed for um, for Rotterdam. Um, he was dealing with Leeds United to re-sign him. And he doesn't know, his agent doesn't know for what reason, uh, when everything was done, the next day, uh, they never get back to them. They, they didn't pick up the, the telephone, they never answered the call, the phone calls, and they, they, they were a little bit upset. But, um, obviously they had the, the opportunity to go to Rotterdam, and, and that's why, uh, he decides to, to sign, to sign there. But obviously, he's saying that he was uh, really, really happy at that moment because obviously for him, Leeds United was uh, his home. Let me tell you a little exclusive for your show. Um, this, you'll know the night. I don't know the exact dates, but when I come out of Leeds, we left it a few weeks and then went off in different little holidays with the family. And you'll tell me the dates, guys. Uh, Leeds United were away to Fleetwood in the cup. And oh, yeah, losing, yeah. They were losing 1-0. Massimo Cellino called me. I was at dinner and there was 15 minutes to go in the game. And he said to me, Coach, where are you? I said, in Cyprus. He says, Coach, we lose this game. I want you to come to Leeds tomorrow. <laughs> and um, Wow. And uh, you can imagine my disappointment when my wife looked across <sighs> in the second minute. As much as I was happy for Leeds and thinking about the fans celebrating, I was devastated for myself. I never then heard from Massimo for about two months and he called me up just to say, Coach, if we'd have lost that game, you were coming back. Oh, wow, double whammy, you know. <laughs> so, so I still want the club to be successful and, it, and I think Marcello will, will make them successful and, and take them back to where they belong and everyone knows it's when I got the job at Leeds, Alex Ferguson, who doesn't like Leeds, but he, he purposely rang me up and said, Son, you joined one of the top six clubs, if not top three, in British football. And, um, and Leeds United were in the championship. He said, don't tell too many Leeds fans I told you that, but he did. And, uh, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was an absolute, yeah, pleasure and, and a huge part of what I'll always remember when I'm not managing it anymore. Uh, when you are uh, so young and then already starting as the youngest goalkeeper in, uh, in Europe, for sure, there is club, uh, and club, uh, big club that have interest, that have, that are following him. But right now, he's in Leeds and I mean, it's what we thought before. He's playing, he's starting. So, so it's the bottom line in a historic club. He likes the club. He loves the club. And yeah, perhaps in, uh, in one season, in two season, you have club like Real Madrid that will uh, knock on the door. Who knows? But in two or three seasons, where Leeds will be? I don't know. I think perhaps if you keep that sport director, that coach, if the players keep uh, improving year after year like they are doing, um, I think the president is right. They could right be in the Champions League uh, quickly. And if Leeds is, the, is in the Champions League, trying to win a title with Leeds, I think it's more beautiful than uh, winning uh, something with uh, Juventus, Real Madrid or, or Bayern. So, I mean, right now he's playing. So, no, it will be... A bad idea to go to a top club to compete for number one and be number two for two or three years on that play would be a bad, a bad idea right now and in the future, as we said, with Bielsa, <laughs> with Victor Horta and with, uh, and if uh, Bamford, Ailing, uh, Dallas, Cooper keeps on improving uh, game after game, who knows? Who knows where the club can, can go and to, to play top football, to play the title or Champions League in Leeds. I imagine, bon, it didn't happen since a lot of years. If uh, Champions League or the title, uh, competition for title is back in Leeds, it will be exceptional, tremendous. So, to leave things like that, I mean, football is about emotion too. Not only saying, okay, I went, I played to, for Juventus, for Real Madrid, for Bayern. It's about achieving something. And I think in Leeds, if everything stay in place with the president, with the sport director, with the coach, I think there is the potential to do Imanus thing. I think Ilan uh, think it's a uh, well right now there is no way to, to think about leaving. Rafinha is still only twenty four years old and has many years ahead of him in his career. Because of that, 
how big a potential do you think Rafina has? That's why I was saying to you guys, uh, I believe that step by step. And uh, for Rafinha, is amazing playing leads. Is uh, amazing learn with Bielsa. Is uh, being amazing that this team still play football very well. Uh, that's why I told you it needs to be step by step. His potential he will increase if he play football, if he learns, and uh, that's why he's he's young. I I think so. He's young. But uh, the more important thing is football, and when you enjoy football, when you start, you know, learn, try to learn for the teammates, try to learn for the for the coach, and uh, he's a good club. This is a very good club for him. Uh, it's very important to to grow up, to put everything on the pitch, and uh, I don't know. I believe that he has a lot of potential. We are seeing that. And uh, I hope that he is keep enjoying play football and uh, and for you fans uh, stay a little bit more for enjoying leagues. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely for longer than this year, please. <laughs> football did resume to some sort of normality in June, albeit without the lead supporters, which you mentioned earlier. And after continuing the good form. Leeds did manage to secure promotion to the Premier League on the 17th of July, which was one day after Leeds beat Barnsley at Ellen Road because of the results from other matches. Were you with the rest of the squad that day to celebrate promotion? And how did it feel all celebrating together as one? I think when we get promoted was because the Barnsley or West Brom lose. Yeah, yeah. Huddersfield beat West Brom to make Leeds. Yeah, promotion. yeah. Huddersfield beat West Brom. Yeah, and this day I think we the, the all no no the fans come to the to the stadium and also we watch this game on the stadium because we know when the West Brom lose or, or draw we we get the promoted. I remember this was amazing because you know you you was on the stadium the the fans was before doesn't matter there was a situation which which the COVID. And everything like back to normal because you know we we can celebrate this with, with the fans, with the people because it's too much different when you when you play on the stadium with the fans or like this when the stand is is empty, you know, is is not the same. So on this day was was, was very nice because we was all the team we celebrate the, the the fans celebrate with us. So I never forget this, but also we celebrate I think three times or two because <laughs> after derby we. We we sure get the, get the promoted from the first position, and and after also after the the last game when I have when I make a debut was I think against Charlton. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, again, yeah, against the, the the fans come to the come to come to the stadium, and I I remember when we go before the stadium we go on the bus and we celebrate with the fans. No, the, the, this situation was was amazing. I don't play too much, but I feel very nice. So I don't. I don't think how how feel the, the the players who who play everything and and make it you know it was yeah. ama- was amazing. Yeah, you just mentioned about that that Charlton game as well. You know, you came on, made your championship debut, coming off the bench was it? I can't remember. You came on as a substitute, I believe, replacing your fellow countryman Mateus Click as well. You know, so how special was yeah, that yeah. for you to make your championship debut in what could be? You know, it was a it was a big match for Leeds. It was Leeds' last match in the championship for hopefully a good amount of time. Longer in the Premier League, the better. Yeah, I just... But you know, how was that for you making your championship debut? No, in, in this day when I make my debut, I I forget everything. You know what was bad and. Then I was angry, long time. I just forget everything. I just was happy, and I make it what I think before, what I say, and I need to do it. And also, I was happy that I make the debut in the in the in the time when we make promoted to the Premier League. So how I say, I forget everything, and I was I was very very happy, you know, because it's nice when you make a debut. You did what you say before, and you can go on the holiday. Also, wish the thing then you make in make a debut in Premier League because this did not happen every year, you know. Following that Charlton match was obviously the celebrations which you mentioned, where Leeds were presented with the Championship trophy and you were given your Championship winners medal. How was that day as a whole for you? Because not only did you make your Championship debut, but then 
you were then rewarded with your medal and able to celebrate with the fans on the open top bus. Do you think that was so far the best moment in your career? Yeah, I think was was the the, the best my the, the best moment in my career. But also, I need to say this because it's not it's my my happy was not the same like which the other players who who play every game because you know they they make it. it I just I just help how I can because I can't say then then we, we go to the Premier League because I I can't feel one hundred percent then I help you know too much. Of course, if I like click or the other players who play everything, they they was happy too much than me. But I ne- I never for- I never forget this moment, and from now was the best my the best moment in my career. After beating AC Milan and Besiktas at Ellen Road, Leeds were well in with a chance of qualifying, with the final fixture of the group was a trip to the San Siro to face AC Milan, with Leeds needing to avoid defeat in order to guarantee qualification. Don Matteo scored a very memorable goal which goes down in Leeds history that night to clinch a 1-1 draw, meaning that against all the odds, Leeds would progress into the following round. But what can you remember about that night in Milan? Because, it's like I said, it's still remembered well by Leeds fans and sung at matches today. And, of course, you played 90 minutes in that game. Yeah, of course, we knew we needed to get a draw. Um, and then Milan had to get a draw as well. We took the lead early on. Uh, but just the build-up to that match, it was just... I remember to go down to Milan and you need to get something out of the game. I think it's... Uh, I think we had a league game at the weekend. We won. I think it was against Tottenham, or I can remember. And then... The boys had a good night uh, on the Saturday, and the manager wasn't too happy about that. So uh, he told me and Dominic before the game uh, at the hotel, remember, you, bet, you two better perform tomorrow. If not, the chicken's going to have a go at you. So, so I think Dominic took it very seriously. He scored a goal as well. So, so it was, uh, it was a great uh, night, especially uh, what I remember most of it after the game, the sing songs with the fans behind the goal and Gary Kelly standing. Uh, uh, leading the leading the line, so uh, I think so. That's something I, we had a special bond with the with the supporters at that, that that time, those years, because we traveled with them in Europe. Most of them we know, so it was a very special bonding with the Leeds supporters. Um, I think, and um, I think when play, when the fans players look back at that time, it's something. Yeah. Um, we want to come back to Leeds one day. Uh, hopefully, in a few years' time, Leeds will be back up there because the supporters in that club um, deserve it. The year you won it, which was 1998, it was the first time the award had been won. And you were the first player at Leeds to win that Young Player of the Year award at Leeds. Mm-hmm. So, what did that feel like for you? Because, like you mentioned before, that side was very talented. So, you beat players such as Jonathan Woodgate, Alan Smith to that award. And, mm-hmm. of course, the award was specially created for you in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it was it was really special to be fair. It was uh, you know, with mentioning all those names that you did now is uh, it means I think it means even more because um, it just in a sense it, it you know it put me in a in a really good place and in, in a really good position as well to to move on further as well. Uh, after I won the the youth uh, player of the year, you know, I made my debut as well in the uh, in the FA Cup against Portsmouth, and I was travelling with the squad. I was training with the first team almost every day, and I was um, uh, regularly in the in the reserves as well, scoring goals and you know doing a lot of good things. And you know, so for me, it was. That season was, you know, was a learning season, and the next season was, was going to be the, the season I was going to, you know, progress a little bit more, if you may call it that. And then, yeah, it was. Uh, I was really, really, really un, yeah, unlucky with some of the injuries I, I got, uh, you know, the third, third year, because uh, that was that was really tough for me actually. I, I remember against United, I think it was at Allen Road, and I got I got injured in that game, and I torn my ligament in my my ankle, and I was away for I think it was six or seven months uh, of football. Uh, remember the first game back against Bolton at Reebok Stadium, uh, reserve match. Uh, I broke my arm, <laughs> so uh, that was actually the first game. 
first game back as well. So it was just it was just a crazy crazy time for me. Um, it was so unlucky, and you know, I think for me, I definitely think it should it could have been different for me because uh, I got I got offered a new two year deal with with Leeds uh, at the time when I came back, um, but I was I was only. 19 20 20 at the time uh and i was really far down actually because there was one year that was just lost uh it was gone because of injuries and and you know it's not the same if i compare to if i compare england to norway now it's it's just completely different if you're injured in norway and you come back from injury in norway it's okay there's only one or two you're competing with if you come back in england if you've been away for like six or seven eight nine ten months you come back and compete you compete against six or seven guys uh, so you know the level of competition the level you have to uh, you know the mentality you have to have as well to come back and bounce back um, it's it's something that is really hard uh, it's you know when I when I see back yeah I would have kept going uh, but I was in a place where I think I have to restart my career. Uh, so I went back to Norway at the time and and I started building myself back up again because, you know, it's nothing to do with I didn't want to stay. Uh, as I said, I, I got a new offer, but it was something with my with my mindset at the time that I needed to, to switch uh, on and move back home to start over again. That season, Leeds won 26 games in the championship, which was almost double the amount of the previous season. And as a result, the side finished fifth in the league, which meant that the side finished in the playoff places, of course. But one of them 26 wins that season was a 4-3 win against Southampton at St Mary's, with Southampton 3-0 ahead with just 20 minutes of the game remaining. But Leeds pulled four goals back, including a penalty from yourself to make it 3-3 to record a famous away win. But what can you remember about that win at Southampton? And what did it show about that Leeds United side to be able to pull back four goals to get the win when the game seemed over? It's one of them games that, again, if you see, you very rarely see a game like that. We were so far off the pace. Um, I was on the bench, thankfully, uh, for, uh, I think I must have come on in 60, 65 minutes when we were getting beat 3-0. So, again... Uh, hopefully I helped turn the game around when I come on as a sub uh, because we were so poor and again I can always remember it was such a long journey down uh, the Southampton you get down and you're underperforming you're 3-0 down and we felt at the time as if as I kept saying this was going to be our year we were going to get promoted Southampton were a good side I think they had previously been in and around the Premier League so they had good players I think Jamie Redknapp was possibly playing and Quasi and Danny Higginbottom and I think Andy Niemi and goals. So I always remember 3-0 down, we're thinking, well, this is going to be a fun journey back. Uh, so we get back and I think Paul Butler, if I remember correctly, Paul Butler probably got the first goal. Um, I don't remember who got the second goal. Uh, I got the equaliser and a penalty. Uh, and then, uh, again, I know obviously Leeds fans and whatever else, a good friend of mine, Liam Miller, uh, who sadly passed away in the last number of years with cancer. I used to drive. We we I lived in Manchester at the time. Liam lived in Manchester, so we were driving together at the time. Uh, and again, what I do look back at not only the result that day and the performance, uh, the supporters that day. You know, three 0 down. You know, they're probably sort of thinking again, like we were thinking, what a what an absolute waste of a journey. And I would imagine there may even have been a few who left the ground that day. Um despondent and the performance and the result um, but when you looked at the uh, the celebrations at the end when we started getting one back you got the, we got the second one back and then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're thinking there may just be a little bit of hope here um, and then you get the equalizer and you're sort of thinking wow we're out of jail here you know however late you know I got the penalty and the equalizer and then Liam Miller scores a goal which again you know some of the games that you play in for, for clubs and international um, you're trying vividly and you can't remember the lot of it. But I always remember the supporters that day. They were basically on the, you know, the pitch at St Mary's. Uh, we were kicking hordens, the sponsors and whatever else. And whatever Leeds fans had actually left, 
uh, maybe they were just outside having a smoke or a drink or basically I'm not going to watch that crap at the time. But when we actually got the equaliser in the fourth goal to make it the winner, uh, they looked as if there was double the amount of lead support somehow. That somehow got themselves back in or somehow that that maybe sort of got themselves back in from the toilet where they were watching and hiding from. And when we actually got the third and the fourth goal, it actually looked as if not only was there a big crowd there, there was more, somehow there was more Leeds fans. Maybe it was the ones who had no tickets outside and couldn't get in. And maybe sort of, <laughs> and maybe somehow could find their way into the ground. But it was a, a an incredible day, incredible atmosphere. And one again, you know, when I look back on, you know, I always look back fondly and sort of remember sort of, you know, Liam Miller scoring the winner that day and sort of, you know, the, uh, the outcome if Liam hadn't scored, but it would have been so much different. There were then famous shots on BBC of Lee Chapman, David Batty, Gary McAllister and Eric Cantona all sat on the sofa together with the BBC cameras pointing at them, watching the game live to get their reaction. But where did you watch that Manchester United game against Liverpool and where were you when Liverpool beat Manchester United, which of course meant that Leeds won the Division 1 title? Uh, I was at home um, and Bill Fotherby and his wife were at home with me and we had Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner. Uh, I said, no, I'm not going to watch the game uh, and I don't want to know the result and so on and so forth. But our young son, Ben, was just about old enough to realise what was going on and he'd got a television upstairs in his room and about halfway through lunch, he came wandering down the stairs and said, Dad, I think we've just won the league. Um, and after that, there was a gradual party development which finished about 2am that morning with people turning up uh, uninvited but welcome, uh, including... Dave Bassett and his wife, who turned up uh, to say well done and so on and so forth. And as is normal with Dave, was not going to refuse having a laugh and a drink. So, you know, it was a long night. <laughs> um, but, but an enjoyable night. Right, what's the point in me sitting there watching the game and I've got no control over it. I can't do anything about it. And if I'm going to be tormented, I'd like to be tormented at the end when I know Liverpool will win rather than at half-time when they're 3-0 up or whatever. Manchester United, I mean, have won. But So it was just a question of self-preservation, I suppose. It was reported that he had a very unique start to life at Leeds and in his very first training session made the players pick up litter from around the training ground. So was that true? And if so, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, that's true. I, I he tried to to make us think about uh, the most important in football, which are the the fans. So for me, it was uh, I, I understood the 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 reason in that moment that I I I make like um, one training more. I. I so it's training for life, I think. What changes did Marcelo have at Leeds when he arrived? Because as well as a litter picking, like you've just talked about, it was said that he changed quite a lot about the football club as a whole when he joined, such as the training ground, the training sessions, and just the general atmosphere within the team. Yeah. In my opinion, for me, he's one of the best coaches in the world. So, And he's very hard worker. So I think he tried to change everything that could help to to improve, and uh, also he made a very human group, and, and that's very very important in one dressing room also. And when Marcelo arrived, you were still obviously involved heavily with the other twenty threes, and although Marcelo was the first team head coach, he seemingly brought the under twenty threes closer to the first team. Did you feel that you and the under-23s did become more involved with the first team when he arrived? Because, of course, one of his famous sessions is that murder ball session, which seemingly involves both the first team and the under-23s. Yeah, yeah. I, I, all the under-23 players, we had um, a lot of chances to, to go training with first team, to make this uh, strong and physically trainings that, that he made. 
So for me, it's a, a unbelievable experience to come train with with one of the best uh, coaches in the world. Yeah, and his first preseason game was at York City, and that season, all of Leeds' preseason fixtures in England, but. That York City game in particular was a game that you featured in and came on as a sub. So what can you remember about that game and playing under Marcelo Bielsa? And what was the difference between playing under Bielsa and maybe Paul Heckingbottom, which you did in the previous season? Yeah, mm, to be honest, I, uh, I, before he came to Leeds, I, I knew some of his style because he he was coach of Atlet- Athletic de Bilbao and... Uh, uh, I I told you before that for me is one of the best coaches. So I knew more or less, and uh, training with with him, I I could know, um, I I could uh, learn some things that I, I never trained, for example, in in my career. And his style of football, he try always to to attack, to press, to 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 fight also, and to take this risk that. That okay, you can you can um, score three goals and you can receive three goals, but at the end, it's very um, very uh, how how I can I say uh, very emotional game, very very good for for one person that is in the TV watching the game. For example, when I was here, I tried to to watch the game because it, uh, I I enjoy the game and sometimes in in when you see. Some games you don't feel this. And that brings it end to the end of season compilation episode. We'd just like to say a huge thank you to all of our guests for their participation and speaking to us for allowing this podcast to happen. And of course, to all of our listeners for their support on the show and helping us to achieve the success that we've had in the podcast charts throughout the 2020-21 season. We'll be back again next episode with another guest and a former League United player, so stay tuned for the release over on our LFC fans' own Instagram account. Thanks for listening.